Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Luke chapter 10 verse 19 says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Father, we honor you. We bless you. We rejoice in you today. We realize you've given us authority, but it's not our authority. It's your authority. And that authority comes with one who is right with you in in relationship with you. And Father, that, that authority comes inside out. So Father, we rejoice that you have, by the grace and the power and the love of Jesus, redeemed us, saved us, delivered us. And Lord, we can represent, we can represent you to our world with authority, your authority, and we can trust you. Glorify your name, and we declare to you how great is our God, how great is our God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Wow. Isn't it neat to worship the Lord? Especially in times that we see going on in our world today. You know, my heart breaks for all that's happening right now. The fear, the anger, suspicion, the hate, the accusations are running rampant. And it seems that no one knows what can be done. Or at least there's no one that really knowing what to do. What are we to do? And so as I was praying about that this week and just looking at things and realizing that uh, the chaos that's going on, I was asking the Lord about it. And the Lord said, the only thing that's going to change your heart is the God of love and the love of God. And uh, whether you realize it or not, that's how your heart and my heart was changed. That's how your life and my life was transformed and it's being transformed. And as I was praying about that and I was really saying, God, how do we how do we get your love to a world that's looking for an argument? That's unready to listen. And in the doing so, the Lord just really told me, Daryl, it's really not about them, it's about you. And he began to show me some things, and so when he shows me something, I've got to show it to you, right? I want you to be in my pain. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. We're going to be doing a little bit different. We're just going to go verse by verse, kind of staying in this chapter, this story, uh, this event with Jesus. And... Uh, just just remember, it's the God of love and the love of God. In Luke 10, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer, which was a religious scholar, stood up and tested him, tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, or what you're reading, or what's your interpretation of it? So he answered Jesus and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. 
Now, understanding that this lawyer, his Jewish heritage, he combines and quotes two scriptures that were very familiar to the Jews. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. Which basically sum up the entire law of God. Jesus said so in Matthew 22 when he asked about, when he was asked about what was the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself, which is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. In other words, those two sum up the whole. The Ten Commandments, the first half, deal with the relationship with God. The second half deal with relationship with man. But all of those, both sides of that, can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All God commands deals with the relationship with God and the relationship with people. Notice in verse 28, this man said to him, "You, I mean, Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Jesus agrees with him. Now understand, he agrees with him realizing the man didn't have a clue about to what he was really quoting. He thought his knowledge of the truth was the same thing as experiencing that truth. Don't you, I want to just warn you. I want you to say it's really dangerous to think that if you know the truth, you are walking in that truth. He knew what to quote. And then he was probably surprised that Jesus uh, said, you're right. Because he was testing Jesus. He wasn't looking for salvation, really. He was wanting to test Jesus to see if what Jesus would say. He's wanting to challenge. He was wanting to debate. You do realize that you can't keep these commands without experiencing the reality that God kept this command for you first. You see, God loved you with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. He loved you. And he didn't love you because you were somebody special. He loved you out of the nature of his own being. Because he is love. And because he first loves us, we can love others. The guy didn't even blink. Look at verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. In other words, he was wanting, the word justify there is the same word we used for salvation. He's wanting to show himself right. He's wanting to justify his standing. He's wanting to save face. He's wanting to be seen as just as smart as Jesus. In other words, he's wanting a way out. Well, I've recognized as I read this, so do I. I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love who I want to love. To the measure I want to love them. In other words, I want to love God, and I want you to think that I love God, but 
But I want to be the chooser. I want to pick and choose who I love. Don't look at me that way. Don't we all? Then Jesus answered him. And this word answered, and it says, in answering, he answered him. In other words, Jesus took up the case. He took up the debate. He took up the conversation. And he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. Now, I underline by chance because if this religious scholar is really a faithful uh, religious scholar, he would have known that they don't believe in anything being by chance. In other words, by chance meant that God was in that priest coming down that road. He was the representative of God coming down that road. By chance, a priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And literally, he went to the other side to pass by. It was anti. He was going around Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. He not only came to the place, but he came and looked and he passed by. Now Jesus has just indicted the religious system of that day. The priest and the Levite were the highest echelons of society in Jesus' day. The priest was the representative of God and he was to represent God to man and represent man to God. And, and he was the highest. He was thought to be the top of class. He was the one who should have known. He was the one who knew the law. He was the one who represented God. The Levite was the religious scholar. The, he, he was next in line, if you want to say the the top, the elite would be the priest. The next would be the religious scholar who loved the Word and was de- determined to be a part of what God was up to. In other words, Jesus is talking at the top of the social ladder. The priest and the Levite. The next would come the sons of Joseph, which were the Jews that could go into the gathering place in the temple. The next would have been the Samaritans. And the next would have been the Gentiles. You and I were on the bottom of the list. And yet, Jesus is doing this because in verse 33, He says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And when he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. Samaritans. What you don't understand, what most of us don't understand, because we know this is the parable of the good Samaritan, and for us, when you say Samaritan, you think good. 
Because we've been trained up on good Samaritan. A good Samaritan is a person who does good. But in Jesus' day, a Samaritan was a half-breed trader. To use the word Samaritan was almost like a cuss word. Still use the, it was like a lot of people using God's name in vain. They use it as a, as a derogatory. Samaritans were half-beat traitors. If you wanted to say something bad about someone, you called them a Samaritan. And Jesus knew this well because in John eight forty eight, the Jews said to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The worst thing that could possibly uh, come, we could come up with, would be to call somebody a demon-possessed Samaritan. Their worst near enemy, they were despised, they were outcast, they had no access to the temple, no access to worship, no access to sacrifice, no access to, to God. And this Samaritan does the right thing. He has compassion. He took action. He cleaned and bandaged the wounded man, who was more than likely a Jew because he was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho. There's a lot that you could, we could do in this, but just for point's sake. He cleaned him, he took him off, he brought him to an inn. And that Greek word there for inn is a common place for all. In other words, he came to a place and and took him to a place that was welcoming all. And he took care of him all that night. The reason we know that night, it says on the next day, the next morning. He took two days wage, two denarii, that's a day's wage. And he gave it to the caretaker and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay. You're talking about a setup for extortion. Whatever you spend, I'll pay. That's like an invitation to a common place to say, take me in. But I want you to understand. In two denarii, the end in history... Through my study, I found out that the, the denari- one thirty-second of a denarii would pay for a night's lodging. So what he gave that guy was two months' lodging for the wounded man. And then said, and if you need more than that, whatever you spend, I'll repay. You understand that what Jesus is saying, this is a parable, this is a story. He's saying, the lavish goodness of a Samaritan. An enemy on his enemy. The generosity and the abundance of care. He left nothing undone. And Jesus, the whole idea of Jesus' story is to the lavish care the Samaritan poured out for this man The lavish love, the abundant generosity for a complete stranger, one who would have been his enemy. And and Jesus is saying, this is love. Verse 36, Jesus pops the question. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? You do realize Jesus changed the question. In verse 29... 
The scholar said, who's my neighbor? In verse 36, Jesus said, who was a neighbor? Who was a neighbor to him? So what Jesus is saying is, he wasn't asking who qualifies to be loved. He was saying, who will be one who loves without qualification in an unqualified way? Basically, he's saying to us, do you even want to love someone like that? And verse 37, he answered and said, he who showed mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He still couldn't get it to roll off his tongue. Even though he knew the right answer, he couldn't submit himself to the truth. Don't you listen to me. There's many of us who know the right answers. We can spout it off. We can share it out. But we won't submit ourselves to the truth of what we're saying. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What he basically said, in essence, go live like a, this Samaritan. Do you realize that Jesus in this story redeemed the word Samaritan? What had been a curse word has now generations later become a word that when you hear Samaritan, you think good. Wouldn't it be neat if God could redeem the word Christian? That when people hear the word Christian, they don't mock, but they recognize what it means. When you hear the word Samaritan, we Westerners think, well, that's good. A good Samaritan. They do good. They have compassion. They love. Jesus redeemed the word Samaritan. Now, it's going to be a little different than what you know from me usually. I want you to say, I want to say this to you. I'm not, I'm not preaching this or I'm not asking you to try to love your neighbor. I'm not. I'm asking you if you would like to be the kind of person who would love your neighbor. So I found out I can't live by the command. What I can ask God is, would you make me the kind of person that would live the truth of this? That's what Jesus is saying. Love is first not an action. Love is the source of that action. It wasn't the priest's goodness or the Levite's standing. It did none of those things. The, the law did not make them lovers. In fact, the law probably was where they justified themselves to walk the other way. So what God is really dealing with me is, you see, love is a condition out of which actions of a certain type emerge. 
The goal is not to be people who do loving things. I'm not talking about social justice here. I'm not talking about those things. Because really, justice would take place if we loved one another. There's something that needs to be the source of the action. We want to legislate action. And God wants to change hearts. The goal is not for people to do loving things, but to become the kind of people who naturally and joyfully and easily love. Let me tell you, only Jesus can enable His followers to live a life of selfless, joyful, anxiety-free, loving service on behalf of others. And here's how the the only way you can do it is realize that's how God loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, soul, mind. And, and the only way you can really become a lover is by submitting yourself to be loved by God that way. God is only out for your good. How many of you ever got a spanking from your daddy when you were small and says, I'm doing this for your own good? Yeah. How many of you thought it was good? But how many of you now have spoke, spanked your children and said, I'm doing this for your own good? Yeah. Because you realize love has the good of the other in mind. Love, real love, has the best for the other. That's the way God loves you. And it's not until you submit to, to step into and live under the love of God who has nothing but your good in mind. He loved you so much, He gave His Son for you while you were still sinners. He didn't love you when. He doesn't love you. He loved you. Now listen to me. If He loved you like that when you were a sinner, that means that your sin can't make Him stop loving you. And your right acts can't make Him love you more because He didn't love you because of uh, a lack of sin or because of your righteous actions. He loved you because of who He was. He loved you out of His own resource. And when you come to Jesus and submit to that kind of love for you, and let me tell you what death to self is. Death to self is not you stopping doing things and stopping to have your own way. Death to self is when you recognize that God is out for your best and you lay aside your way because His way is the best. I submit to it. I submit to God loves me without condition. My my sins, His love for me is greater than my sins and His love for me is greater than my right acts. He just loves me. And when I recognize that I'm loved like that, Romans 8 says, And the love of God is now shed abroad in my heart by which I love others. If you will submit and experience His love, you're on your way to allowing His love to love others through you, looking for what is for their good. I'm not saying love people and let them get by with it. Because how many of you know love doesn't let you get by with it? 
I'm not saying just be, my word's gooey, just be out there. Just let everybody have, the, you know, I'm saying love them enough to look out for what's good, what's best. Love the hell out of them. So here's my question. I'm not asking you, would you try to love your neighbor? I'm asking you, would you put yourself in, the play, in, in relationship with God to the point that he could train you? To love others. That he could become in you everything that he wants to be through you. Do you want or would you be willing to be made a loving person? You can't love everybody. You see, everybody's a nobody. Everybody's generic, right? But here's the thing. God wants you to love somebody. Somebody. Let me close with a story. It's a long story. Tony Campalo grew up in inner-city Philadelphia. He was a professor of sociology at Eastern College in St. David's, Pennsylvania. A few years ago, Tony flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference. And the way he tells it, he checked into his hotel and he tried to get some sleep. Unfortunately, coming from the East Coast to the Hawaii, his internal clock woke him up at 3 a.m. The night was dark and the streets were silent. The world was asleep, but Tony was wide awake and his stomach was growling because he was hungry. So he got up to prowl the streets looking for a place he could get some bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. But every, everything was closed except for a grungy dive down an alley. He saw a sign. It was lit up and he went in. He sat down at the counter. And the way he described it, this fat guy with a greasy T-shirt comes behind him, in front of him in the counter, and came over to him and says, What do you want? Well, after he saw the guy, Tony wasn't so hungry anymore. So he eyed some donuts under a plastic cover, and he said to the guy, he said, I'll have a donut and black coffee. The guy went over and filled a coffee cup and come put it down, and then he reached over on that cover over the donuts, lifted it up, wiped his hand off on his shirt, and picked up a donut Put it on the plate in front of him. Tony says, well, I sat there munching on my dirty donut and sipping my coffee. He said, about 3.30 a.m., in walked eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes who were just finishing their night's work. They plopped down at the counter with Tony being right in the middle. He found himself uncomfortably surrounded by a group of smoking, swearing hookers. He gulped his coffee, planning to make a quick getaway. But just then he heard the woman that was sitting next to him say to her friend, You know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend was sitting beside her nastily replied, So what do you want me to do? May I have a birthday party? What do you want from me, huh? You want me to get you a cake, sing happy birthday to you? And the first one woman said back to her, oh, come on, why do you have to be so mean? 
Why do you have to put me down? Always put me down. I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When Tony Campolo heard this, he made a decision. He sat and waited until the women left. And then he asked the fat guy at the counter, Do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, he asked, Does she come in every night? Yeah, he said, That's Agnes. Yeah, she's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? Because she just said that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think? I mean, do you think we could maybe throw a little birthday party for her right here in the diner? A little cute kind of smile crept over the fat man's chubby cheeks. By the way, his name's Harry. That's great, he said. Yeah, that's great. I like that. He turns to the kitchen and he shouts to his wife, Hey, come on out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes' birthday and he wants to throw a party for her right here. His wife comes out through the swinging door, wiping her hands off on a towel. She says, That's terrific. She says, You know, you know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people and nobody does anything nice for her. So they make their plans. Tony says, I'll be back at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations. And the man, whose name was Harry, says to him, I'll make a cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, Tony's back. He has crepe paper and other directions and a sign made of big piece, pieces of uh, cardboard that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They decorate the place from one end to the other and they get it looking great. Harry had... <clears throat> gotten the word out on the streets about the party and asked them to be there by 3.15. It seemed like every prostitute in Honolulu was in that place. There were hookers wall to wall at 3.30 in the morning. And right on dot, right on the dot, right on the time, the door swung open and in walked Agnes and her friend. And Tony had already prepped everybody and they all shouted and screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! And Agnes was absolutely flabbergasted. She was stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her knees started to buckle and she almost fell over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles was carried out, that's when she totally lost it. By now she was sobbing and crying and Harry, being that kind, gentle man he was, says, Come on, Agnes, get over it. Pull yourself together. Blow out the candles, Agnes. Cut the cake. So she pulled herself together and she blew out the candles. Everyone cheered, yelled, Cut the cake, Agnes. Cut the cake. But Agnes looked down at the cake. Without taking her eyes off of it, slowly and softly began to say, Look, Harry, is it all right with you if... I mean, if I don't... I mean, what I want to ask is, Is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry didn't know what to say, so he shrugged and said, Sure, that's what you want to do. Keep the cake. You can take it home if you want. Oh, could I? She asked. Looking at Tony, she said, I I just live a couple of doors down. I want to take the cake home and show my mother. Is that okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carried it high in front of her like it was a holy grail. And everybody watched in stunned silence when the door closed behind her. Nobody seemed to know what to do. 
They looked at each other and they looked at Tony, wall-to-wall hookers. So Tony got up on a chair and said, what do you say when we pray together? And there they are in a hole-in-the-wall greasy spoon, half the prostitutes in Honolulu there at 3.30 a.m. listening to Tony Campalo as he prayed for Agnes, for her life, for her health, for her salvation. Tony recalls, he said, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. And when he finished, Harry leaned over and with a trace of hostility in his voice said, Hey, hey. You never told me as a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? In one of those moments when just the right words come, Tony answered him quietly. He said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Harry thought for a moment and then almost mockingly said, No, you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? You do realize that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. A church filled with people who know the love of God so keenly, so lavishly, so generously that they can lavishly pour it out on a world desperately in need of joy and celebration and fullness. not asking you to go out and do something. I'm asking you, do you want to become that kind of person? Who out of the resource of what God has done for you, love. Not everybody, but the somebodies that God may be bringing in your pathway. My heart cry is I want to be a part of a Christian body who loves without qualification. I hope you do too. By chance, a priest. By chance, a Levite. By chance, a Samaritan. By chance, Tony Campalo. By chance, us. As Pastor Gerald said, when, when we try to reach everybody, we don't reach anybody. But by chance, every one of us encounters one every single day. Matthew twenty five thirty four says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. To the one, to the one that we encounter. We can reach one with the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not out of our own goodness or something we do on our own. But as Pastor Darrell said, when we receive that endless love of the Father, then we will have that love. And the amazing thing in that passage is they didn't even know in their humility, in the love that they received. They just loved. And they were surprised by his answer because they didn't even think they had done anything. But they loved with the love that Christ first loved them. Dear Holy Father, we thank you We thank you that you first loved us. None of us are righteous. None of us are deserving, Father. But you've loved us all. Father, we pray that you would allow us to love with that love that we have received. The one that we encounter, Father. Open our eyes to see them. Let that love go forth from us. Father, let us be a church, not just New Covenant, not the body in Lampasas, but the body of Christ throughout the world. Let us be a body that loves, that throws parties for the sinners. Because you're throwing a party for us. We love you, Lord. We give you all glory and honor and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message.